It's our job to tell better stories. And always remember, it's the risk takers that are rewarded. People are sick and tired of being marketed to, and they're sick and tired of being sold. The single biggest story today in sales and marketing is how our customers are buying different Hey everyone, it's your host, Edward Ford, and welcome to the Growth Up Podcast, the show about all things B2B SaaS marketing. This podcast is brought to you by Advanced B2B, the growth marketing agency that helps B2B SaaS businesses generate sustainable revenue growth through marketing. So if you're looking for an agency partner who will help you get measurable results from your marketing, then check out advancedb2b.com for more info. Now, joining us today on the show is Emily Kramer, marketing advisor, angel investor, and co-founder at MKT1. And in this episode, we're talking about how to build and organize your early stage SaaS marketing org. Now, deciding how to build, structure, and scale your marketing team is a challenge every B2B SaaS company will encounter at some point, so it's great to learn from someone who has not just done it once, but four times. Emily has built and scaled the marketing teams at Ticketfly, Asana, Carter, and Astro, and in this episode, she talks us through her framework for structuring your marketing team. She talks about the roles you should hire first, why you shouldn't hire T-shaped marketers, how marketing teams should prioritize and focus, how much hierarchy you need in your marketing org, and we also hear the story of how Emily built and structured Asana's marketing team. Now, this episode is packed full of great insights, so let's get into episode number 74 of the Growth of Podcast with Emily Kramer, marketing advisor, angel investor, and co-founder at MKT1. Welcome to another episode of the Growth of Podcast, and it's my pleasure to welcome Emily Kramer to the show, who is co-founder and advisor at MKT1. So Emily, thank you so much for joining us today here on the Growth of Podcast. Thanks for having me. Looking forward to, looking forward to chatting with you. Yeah, likewise. I'm excited about this episode as today we're covering a topic which is a pain point I think every single SaaS marketing team will run into, and that's how to organize your early stage SaaS marketing org. Now, I guess no two marketing orgs will look exactly the same, but you've developed a framework org chart over time. So to kick things off, I was thinking, can you talk us through that basic foundational structure? Yeah. And for some context, I've um, I've been the first-ish, you know, first, second, or third marketer at uh, four SaaS companies, um, all sort of at different stages. So I was at Ticketfly, um, when it was series C and as like the third marketer. And then I was at, uh, Asana for four years where I was the four- first marketer and scaled that team up to about 25 people over those four years. Um, I was at a seed and series A funded company called Astro, which later got acquired by Slack, um, launching the product for the first time. And I hired two people. Um, and then I was at Carta, which was much later stage when I joined, um, but they didn't really have a marketing team. And I grew that team, um, from two to about 25, 30 in, in a year and a half. So I built a lot of marketing teams. So I've, I've learned the hard way kind of how to do this and how not to do this. And I think the conversation that I've had most frequently when I was in these roles with other heads of marketing, CMOs, VPs of marketing, is just, how are you organizing your team? How are you organizing your team? Because it's, it's pretty complicated. Um, and I think that's also something that founders get confused about as well. Um, it's just, how do I do this? And, and a lot of the conversations I have when I start advising companies, which is what I do now, is just, who should I hire and how should I think about this? And there's so many roles in marketing. Um, so there's, I don't know, 25 plus unique roles within marketing. So how do you think about that? And how do you bucket that? So for 
early and growth stage SaaS startups, um, I think about three major buckets. And with your first few hires, you want to make sure you're covering off on these buckets. That doesn't necessarily mean you have one person squarely in each of the three buckets um, because marketers have different skill sets and I love marketers that don't fit into a box. And those are actually my favorite marketers to hire, which we'll talk about later, I, I imagine. Um, but without further ado, I'll tell you what those three boxes are. That was a long, long lead in. Uh, but the three, the three buckets are product marketing, content marketing, and growth marketing. Uh, top-down sales organizations will usually call growth marketing demand gen, the whole thing. I still like to call it growth marketing. I think it sounds more fun. Um, and then, of course, the other, the other bucket is design. And design, usually at the beginning, is, is sometimes a centralized organization with product and, and brand design um, and sometimes part of marketing. So I won't go into that too much, but you will at some point in the early days need a designer to help you with marketing. Um, and that could be a full-time person, could be a shared responsibility with the product design team. So I won't touch as much probably on that, but um, design is really important and uh, is, is part of this as well. But I'll kind of talk about the, the pure marketing, marketing functions. Yeah, that's awesome. And we'll hear in more detail later on how you built and organized some of those teams. But let's mm -hmm. say you're an early stage SaaS company. Which marketing hires then would you recommend making first and why? Yeah, so people often talk about hiring T-shaped people. I talk about for marketing, hiring pie-shaped people, like 3.14, that kind of pie. Um, and what that means is there's two vertical lines um, and one's a little shorter than the other. So what that means to me is that you're an expert in one of those three areas I described. So you're an expert in growth marketing, content marketing, or product marketing. And you're proficient to expert level in another one. Um, so that could look like um, a most a, a pie-shaped marketer that I often see is a product marketer who's really amazing at writing and understands content strategy. So they're a product marketing, content marketing, pie-shaped marketer. Just said marketing like seven times, but um, hopefully that's clear. The other one that I typically recommend that you hire first, depending on the skills of the team already and, and what the team needs to do right away, I recommend hiring a product marketing, growth marketing, pie-shaped person. Um, and whether that person spikes more in product marketing or growth marketing really depends on the organization. Um, so that's most often what I recommend. Someone that can help with that initial positioning and messaging, um, really figure out and analyze the audience deeply and then figure out how that messaging applies to that audience, what needs to be created to market to that audience, and then can start to build out that growth engine to get that information out into the world um, is really important in the, in the early days. Um, these people can be hard to find though. It's hard to find people that have these two skill sets, but typically people that have worked at startups before um, have kind of had to wear many hats or at least had a lot of exposure to the areas of marketing. Whereas if someone just comes from Google or something, they're gonna have been more in a silo and probably only skilled in one of these areas so just a just a caveat there on kind of where to look for these people yeah that's super interesting and you spoke there about preferring pie-shaped marketers rather than t-shaped marketers which is super interesting something i've never heard of and definitely a good framework to think about and this is a question i've asked before on this podcast so should you start off by hiring generalists 
or specialists early on? I think the concept of a pie shape marketer is kind of somewhere in the middle. <laughs> um, <laughs> like it's, it's, if you're if a specialist to generalist is a spectrum, it's, it's in the center. And I think that's why I say pie shaped. Like they need to be willing to and learn how to be a generalist if you're in one of those early stage roles. Like that's one of the advantages of taking one of these early roles. And one of the reasons why I just kept taking these early roles four times in a row, which is a little crazy. Um, is because you have to become a generalist and you have to become, you have to do all of these things, no matter what the job description says, um, no matter what your skill set is, as an early marketer, you're going to be doing all the things that need to get done, sometimes even out, not even within marketing. So um, I think you have to become a generalist, but I think you're hiring people who potentially have been specialists and, you know, two of these areas or, or one of these 1.5 of these areas. So um, yeah, I think part of the value of joining early is if you are a specialist is becoming a generalist, um, increasing your breadth um, a lot when you join an early stage company. So I tell people that have been more in specialist roles, if you're trying to eventually be ahead of marketing um, or lead a large portion of a marketing team, joining one of these early or even growth stage companies and being in one of these roles is going to force you to get that breadth. Um, so for me, having done this a number of times and then scaling as the head of marketing, people often ask me like what I specialize in. And I'm like, I don't even know anymore. I specialize in being able to, to put it all together and, and doing all of it um, because of the nature of the roles that I've had. Yeah, definitely. And you spoke about the three buckets that you should start mm -hmm. with so growth marketing content marketing and product marketing so let's talk mm -hmm. more about those so can you clarify exactly what their scope is and what people in these three roles would own yeah i'll start with product marketing that's what people founders always think especially oh i need to hire a product marketer first and i'm, I'm pretty sure that's because vcs tell them that and that's that's somewhat true but i'll start with that one i also think this is a little bit of a misunderstood function um, so two things about product marketing. One, I think a better name, and I actually wrote something on my new list. I think a better name for product marketing is actually audience marketing. Um, because the main responsibility before you even understand the product deeply that you're marketing is to understand the audience deeply and not just, um, not just how the audience thinks about your product or the problem you're trying to solve. Like details about other tools the audience is using and what their day is like and what other problems they're facing and where they like to read information and how they like to read information. So that's number one with a product marketer. They need to deeply understand your audience. They need to then deeply understand the product and they need to figure out how to communicate about both the benefits and the features of that product to that audience. Um, I think additionally, besides deeply understanding and figuring out who you're communicating with and, and what you're saying to them, you also serve as kind of the glue of the marketing team. You, you tend to kind of be working with all of the other subfunctions, and you're also usually the most cross-functional person on the marketing team because you're working with both sales, depending on the business model, a lot with sales um, to help them position and the product and communicate with prospects and customers. And you're also working a lot with the product team giving them feedback that you're hearing and also working to understand the product and, and properly explain how it works to, to customers and prospects. Um, so yeah, I, if you think about product marketing as 
the owner of understanding the audience, I think it's almost easier um, to know what they should focus on. Um, for content marketing, and, and, and in early stage companies, content can also kind of own comms and, and PR the very early days if that's important to you. And um, so content for me is telling the story of your brand and company and product, um, working with other people on the team to help you do that. So they're really owning the story, they're owning the content calendar, um, and they're figuring out um, what content is gonna best engage the audience and move them down the funnel. And part of that is working closely with product marketing, but it's also working closely with growth marketing to figure out distribution, whether that's, we're gonna try to get organic search traffic to this, or we're gonna distribute this with partners or, or however that might be, that's also part of this. So owning the cal content calendar, telling the story of the brand and trying to help get people to that content. Um, some content people can also own community early on um, if that's important to your brand as well, that can kind of go hand in hand. Um, and content marketing and product marketing together, I view as the fuel of marketing, whereas growth marketing is the engine. So product marketing, content marketing are the fuel, and then you have to make sure you have a way to get that fuel out into the world. Um, I think my metaphor is breaking down a little bit, but you got to use that fuel to start a fire. I don't know. Metaphor is breaking down, but content marketing, product marketing, the fuel, and then growth marketing is the engine. And as I mentioned before, growth marketing can be called a million things, um, especially and frequently with top-down sales organizations called demand gen. Um, and their job is to own the channels and campaigns and also the, the KPIs. So they're going to be launching, tracking, optimizing these programs or campaigns across multiple channels in order to move people down the funnel. Um, so they need to be highly analytical. They need to understand the multiple channels, understand how to optimize across channels, how to prioritize channels, et cetera. Um, so that's how I think about these three buckets. Um, and a mistake that I see a lot is when building out teams, teams will like over index on either side. So they'll have an engine, but they'll have no fuel to put in the engine. So it's like you have this perfectly structured uh, machine, but you have nothing to drive it. So people aren't going to care. And then, or I see people building, you know, all of this content and they have all this fuel, but they're not thinking about distribution at all. So there's, it's not doing anything. Um, so really getting that balance right between the fuel and the engine is another way to think about building up a team. Um, especially for founders or even marketers that just don't know all of the lingo that we use. It's just a much more simple thing, way to think about it. Yeah, I love it. That's super good. I'll remember that metaphor for sure. And you spoke about other buckets as well earlier on. So mm -hmm. when do you know it's time to invest in these other areas? So things like comms and PR field events, brand and creative. Yeah, yeah. one caveat there is I don't necessarily think that you're not doing those things at the beginning. They're just, they're just specialties that it doesn't make sense to necessarily have a full-time person focusing on. So in the example of comms and PR, like having the content marketer or a product marketer work with a contractor or an agency, you know, could make sense in the beginning. It, it often doesn't, but it could. Um, same with events, especially, you know, virtual events, webinars and things like that. Content marketing or product marketing can run those at the beginning. Um, but to go into kind of the question of, of how do you know when it's time to invest in these things? Um, 
I think PR really depends on how integral it is to your strategy and how much the story that you're trying to tell is actually covered in the, by the press. Um, so if you are a company that's operating in a very trendy space, um, like the creator economy right now, or crypto or, you know, whatever the trendy spaces at the time, FinTech to some degree, um, and you have a, a founding team that maybe has some credibility. I mean, this was definitely the case at, at Asana. PR was important because the, the founder started Facebook as well. So early on, he had a lot of credibility and, and built additional credibility because of his work at Asana over the time. Over time, but um, if you have a, a, a if you're in a space that the that media loves to cover. Um, and you have a founder that wants to do press, which is not often the case, and you have a really interesting story and unique angles and somewhat controversial angles to put out in the world, it could be something to invest in early. If you don't have those things, it's going to be much harder. And it probably doesn't make sense to do much besides launching your company, doing the TechCrunch tech crunch announcement that everybody does, and potentially writing some editorial thought leadership pieces that you get placed as bylines in some of these publications. And those things other marketers can kind of do or, or work with a contractor in a one-off basis. But retaining a PR agency or PR firm at the beginning, it's really expensive um, and also hard to measure. Um, when you feel like there's just a natural stories you wanna be getting out in, in the world and you feel like there's people to cover them, that's when you, that's when you start to do this. Um, I think it becomes obvious um, in some ways. Um, the next one you asked about, I think is just events and again, well, obviously over the last year or so, not as much of a thing during COVID, um, but webinars and, and virtual events were, um, and those can be managed by multiple people on the team, whether you're doing trade show sponsorships or, or doing your own in-person events as those start to come back, there's a lot of logistics with those. Um, and I think. Um, it depends on who you're trying to reach. And like I said, deeply understanding your audience and, and how they make decisions. And if they make decisions by attending these events, then it can be important to have a presence. Um, that said, I think you can get a lot done early on. If you have a clear strategy here set by um, product marketing usually, um, and you hire a junior generalist on your team, marketing specialist type person, who can help manage some of these logistics. Um, so uh, that can be someone just starting out or, or wanting to do more event stuff, but can help in other areas of marketing too, like staging blog posts and doing, you know, helping get things out on social media and helping with reporting. So having that specialist that kind of um, helps across all things and especially focus on events is really helpful. And that's how I've covered off on some of these areas where I've been able to guide on strategy and it's a percent of someone's time, whether it be 10 or 20 or even 50% of their time, I've hired these junior specialists that have high aptitude, highly motivated and want to kind of grow in a marketing team. Um, so long-winded answer, but that's how I think about those two things. Um, from the start, again, if you are, it depends on the business model. If you are a self-serve product, moving people down the funnel, uh, um, uh, through your website and your product. So self-serve, freemium, product-led growth, whatever we're calling that these days. Um, 
design is going to be more important versus if you're doing a sales and outbound approach where the main things that you're doing is having conversations with people um, and using decks and things like that. Um, so I think depending on the business model, this becomes important earlier. I think every startup needs someone to help them do their website and help them do a logo. Um, fairly easy to outsource if you, there's great agencies that do this, great agencies that build on Webflow, WordPress, things like that. Um, but you need someone that really knows how to manage that. Um, so if you have a marketing lead or even a founder, or even a product designer that understands design um, and can help guide that third party, that's really helpful. Um, and then it just, it, it depends on that business model. And this is something that you have contractors for. And when you start to use so much of a contractor's time um, or things start to look really inconsistent or not feel good, that's kind of the time to, to bring it in house. Yeah, definitely. That makes a lot of sense. And following from here, how should you recruit early stage SaaS marketers? And how do you know someone is a suitable candidate? Since I think it's not a job for everybody. It's definitely not a job for everyone. Um, and unfortunately, I see a lot of turnover in these roles. And I think it's because founders aren't necessarily finding a person that's the right fit. And I think people don't necessarily know what's involved in the role. And what's involved in the role is strategy and execution having to do everything in marketing, even if that's not your specialty um, and having to move really fast and have an experimentation mindset. Um, and also I think the key is like being a really good prioritizer. So um, to break those down a little bit more, early marketers, they have to be able to set the strategy for the team, but they also need to be comfortable getting their hands dirty and rolling up their sleeves and just doing it. Um, and I think, some marketers that have been really senior don't want to go back to those roles. I think I'm an anomaly where I led marketing at Asana and then I wanted to go to a seed funded company as their first marketer um, and be involved in the beginning. I don't think that's normally the case. So you're typically, and similarly, if someone's only been in a purely execution-based marketing role and they haven't even been exposed to strategy, they're going to have a hard time. So really what you're getting is kind of, you should, look for a mid-level person that's had some strategic experience, understands multiple areas of marketing, um, at least working knowledge, and is also still excited to roll up their sleeves and really like do the work of an early stage startup. And in turn for that, you know, there there's a risk reward situation where you're early, so you're getting more equity. And, and there's also the learning. And like I said, becoming that generalist and your career can accelerate a lot faster, even if you don't pick a winner of a startup, it can accelerate a lot faster because you just learn a lot more. Um, and then you go to other places and can just be a really powerful marketer because you know how to do all of these things. Um, so I look again for this mix of ability to do set, both set strategies, set goals, and then actually do the execution work and highly prioritize what actually needs to get done. I think for the prioritization, goal setting, organization, piece and just the general velocity, um, having startup experience is really helpful. So I look for people that have worked at startups before. It's okay if they haven't necessarily gone as early as you are as a startup, but having experience in that really fast growth environment, I think is important. It's also important because on the large teams, as I mentioned before, marketers get more siloed. Um, so yeah, I'm looking for these mid-level people. Maybe they were reporting into a VP of marketing or reporting into a director of marketing in some cases, depending on the size of the team they were just on, um, looking to really take that jump and 
um, be able to do all of marketing and hopefully grow into a role of leading a team and, and building a team around that person. Um, as that person comes in, every role after those initial people kind of changes the course of who you need to hire next. So uh, job descriptions also often get thrown out the window if you're building a marketing team correctly. And the reason for that is just, again, there's so many different areas of marketing. So finding someone that fits an exact box is really difficult and also means that you might be missing out on someone that has a really interesting mix of skill sets that align really well with your business. So I find that I make hiring plans and then I throw them out the window. And this especially happens in hires like four through 10 on the team where I just need people to take things off of the, my plate and people on the other team's plate. So I'm really looking for people who I think can augment the team in some way and complement the skill sets and are also just really eager to get in and do the work and, and resonate with the audience and the mission and the product of the company. So I like make this hiring plan and then just break it all the time um, because I want these people that have that mix of experience that I described and are high aptitude, highly motivated and highly aligned with what the company is doing. Um, so it's difficult. I mean, this is, an, this is the thing that as an advisor, I help founders with the most is recruiting um, and early marketers at companies. I mentor them on who to hire next. And it's definitely really complicated and it's a lot harder than say just sales where you're just hiring account executive, account executive, account executive, uh, you know, BDR, 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 not to, not to say that those people aren't unique as well, but it's, it's sort of a simpler kind of uh, scale the same role out and marketing is so different. So that's what makes it so complicated. Yeah, I can definitely relate to that. And on this topic, would you advise that you develop a role that you're looking to hire for and you search for someone who matches really well with that? Or would you prefer the other approach where you, if you find someone really good who would be a good fit and then you just create a role for them, which way do you prefer to think about hiring? I mean, I think, so job descriptions, in my opinion, are marketing tactics. They're way for recruiting. Like they're ways to get people in the door inbound or through referrals and give some guidance on what you're looking for um, to get people in conversations with you. And then if you find someone great that you know can help, whether you're the founder or, or an early marketing lead that can help take things off your plate and are a really great fit for the company and have a really interesting set of skills, then I often create new job descriptions for them. I'm like, you came in for this product marketing role, but really you're kind of this hybrid of a product marketer and content marketer. So I actually think that like, you know, I don't know, I, I, I'm not a title person um, and I've worked at companies that haven't had titles. So that's kind of made me this way. So we can change the title. I don't care whatever the title is, but here's sort of the new job description to align them. And I'll usually do that towards the end of the interview process um, just so they know what they're getting themselves into. So I always put out job descriptions. Sometimes I often tell companies to put out two job descriptions, even if they're looking for one role with slightly different profiles, because it, it doesn't really matter which function they're best at first, because you're going to need all three of those buckets and you need someone who can come in and get started and, and is comfortable wearing many hats and learning new things. So sometimes I'll tell people to put up both the growth marketing role and the product marketing role and see who comes in the door and make a call that way. Um, especially if they're not familiar with those. So um, I just put out a job description. I try to make them not overly specific, but clear what they would be doing as a way to get people in the door that vaguely match what I'm looking for. And then I purely go on 
um, how much can this person help us with and how much do I think they can help scale and grow both the team and the company and throw out those job descriptions when I'm interviewing people that I think could be amazing. So the first hires that I've made at those companies that I talked about, none of the people ever match the job description exactly. Like, so like the second marketing hire, if I was the first hire, the second hire, it never matched the job description. Like maybe it was kind of close, um, like generally, but it normally wasn't really that close. And it's because when you are hiring early on, you're typically, you're sharing these descriptions both publicly, but also you're not, you don't have a lot of traction as a startup. So you're not getting a lot of inbound interest. So you kind of have to go through referral networks. Um, and you know, people are sending great people that they think align with the company to you and, and you're taking a gamble on people sometimes based on referrals and things like that. So, um, yeah, I think have the job description, but then be comfortable throwing it out the window and creating a new one. If you meet someone that you think is really great. Yeah. I think that's super good advice. And you spoke earlier about the need to be a prioritizer and early stage markets yeah. have a lot of ground to cover. So how do you advise early stage marketing teams when it comes to prioritization and focus? Yeah. So I think the key to prioritization is really good goal setting. And in marketing, a mistake that I see is just having a goals that are KPI based. So just having, you know, a goal like drive as many leads or, or qualified leads or contribute this much to pipeline or, you know, just only metrics focus. And the problem with that is early on, there's some things that you're going to do that are more long-term strategies that you need to build up over time. So they might not have immediate huge uh, huge impacts on, on some of these numbers. So I like to have a mix of project-based goals of big, you know, high impact work that you think is going to move the needle and getting that out the door. I like to have goals around testing things and, and trying a number of tests and learning from those tests, as well as your typical you know, web traffic plus a conversion rate to, you know, to, to someone filling out a form kind of goal as well as goals more down the funnel around leads or activation in the product if it's a self-serve product. Um, so getting the mix of goals right is really important. So saying like, what's the big bet? What's the high impact project bet we're making right now? And that could be we have a launch or we are going to make all of these templates that are going to drive people into the product and kind of be our wedge in. Um, whatever that big project is, the big thing that could cause step change growth or be high impact. Um, and then, as I said, also goals around testing, which could be as simple as um, test 10 things on the landing page um, and, you know, uh, report back on your learnings um, or share learnings broadly or something like that. That's, I could bet, write a better goal than that probably, but you get the idea of testing and, and figuring out what's most important is really valuable. Um, the other thing I'll say about goals, one huge mistake I see in goal setting marketing is I know I just gave like a run 10 tests other than run 10 tests kind of goals. You should never do goals on quantity of things because marketing isn't about, I'll give you an example, write five blog posts this quarter. That's a terrible goal. Um, it doesn't matter how many blog posts you put out. If the blog posts aren't for the audience and what they, and, and adding value for that audience, they're not going to matter. So you could write one blog post that does more for your company than 20 blog posts. Um, in fact, that ends up being often what you see. So yeah, you're going to have some misses and you want to put things out there, but you really want to focus on why am I getting people to these blog posts? So I like to have goals around 
web traffic to those posts or even um, conversion to filling out forms, again, depending on your business model that really say, I don't care how many blog posts you write. I care about how much impact they have. Um, so that's, those are some notes on goal setting. And then prioritization from there is somewhat simple. It's, does it ladder up to a goal? And if the answer is no, you should really think about why. And if someone on another team is asking you, um, you should say, well, as I communicated, you know, at the beginning of the quarter, which you should always share your goals at the beginning of the quarter and say, this is what I'm focused on. Is anything missing that you think you might need, especially as a marketer to the sales and product team? Then you can go back and say, well, this isn't aligned with my goals. Like how, how would you slot this in given that these are the things I'm focused on? Um, so I ruthlessly prioritize um, against goals. And when I have a team, if they're doing something that doesn't ladder up to the goals, we talk about it. And, and that also means that sometimes your goals need to be flexible because sometimes things will come up that are, just are more important than your goals. And then I recommend rewriting your, augmenting your goals for the quarter so they're not just completely irrelevant. So goal setting, whether that be OKRs or just simply goals, whatever works for the company and where they're at. Quarterly goals, reviewed monthly, um, breaking down some of those metrics goals um, month by month um, and ruthlessly prioritizing off of those well-communicated goals. Um, it's the hardest part. Well, there's a lot of hard parts in early stage marketing. I think that's the hardest part once you've kind of mastered some of these skills and if you're comfortable figuring things out on your own and learning from reading the internet, then that's definitely the hardest thing is goal setting and prioritizing and making sure the rest of the company understands why you're picking what you're picking. Hiring is the hardest part. And then that is the second highest part. I'll, I'll say that. <laughs> this is amazing. And I have been that marketer when you've had a quarterly goal, say growing the number of PQLs or MQLs by a certain amount compared to last quarter. And then you go away and then you think, what am I going to do? Because there's so much you can do to influence that across the customer journey. So having those high impact goals, testing goals, Mm -hmm. micro conversion goals whether it be increasing the conversion rate of the specific page by a certain amount mm -hmm. i think is super good advice and then gives you that focus which then lets you prioritize so my goodness this is yes a light bulb yeah. moment for me so this is super I, good. I think the mistake that people make there what happens if you just have those goals is people are encouraged to kind of just do things that keep the lights on or drive linear growth and really like you have to get step change growth. You have to have things that drive step change moments and kind of cause that uptick that never goes away to have a new, it's much easier if I was drawing on a whiteboard to show this, but you can imagine the graph. So if you just have those goals, like you're not gonna do the right things because the, the things you test might colossally fail and they might not contribute to MQLs, but, and they need to be judged off of different metrics. But that's a really good learning experience and it makes you want to try something else that could be the thing that causes the step change driver. So yeah, like you've got to encourage testing and not just testing little things as well, but like thinking about when I work with companies, one of the first things I like to do is identify the things that could cause step change growth. Like what are these, the growth levers that could make a huge impact? What are those things? And then the goal is to keep the lights on and like keep doing what you're doing to kind of keep that linear growth. But every other bit of your time is focused on, on testing to see if these step change drivers could be effective. Um, so that's how I think about kind of the strategy on what should we do um, is really thinking like what could cause this step change for us. Yeah, definitely. Yep. That makes a lot of sense. And one thing I would love to ask before we come on to hear some stories of how you built marketing teams from scratch, and that is how much or even how little 
hierarchy do you need for an early stage SaaS marketing team to function well? Yeah, that's a really good question. And I've been in um, companies that have completely opposite perspectives on hierarchy as an organization. So some of this is going to depend on the founders and how decisions are made and how the company is structured overall. Asana was pretty flat, especially at the beginning. Um, we had people that were leading teams, but it, people were more had areas of responsibility and things that they owned rather than very specific titles um, or hierarchy. That said, I think it's important to have someone who is the leader of the team that is responsible for making sure that they are communicating well with the rest of the company and creating a feedback loop with the rest of the company um, and helping communicate about overall strategy things that are needed because marketing can't operate in a vacuum and is often very dependent on what the product team's doing. So having that lead that's really helping break down barriers cross-functionally, I think is really important. So I think it is important to have that level of hierarchy. Um, and then I also think it's important to, if you are hiring sort of a specialist or more that junior generalist, like that needs to be made clear. But beyond that, like kind of having clear areas of ownership is what's important. Um, and more so to me than titles or a lot of hierarchy within that. Um, that said, the one thing I will caveat is I have taken too long to create a reporting structure and had way too many report people reporting to me. And I think this is a lot of mistake that a lot of startup leaders, no matter what the team make, and you really have to make sure that you're not spreading yourself too thin. So, you know, seven direct reports is, I usually go to like 10 and then I'm like, oh no, I should have done this at like seven. Um, so when as a marketing lead, you have like, you know, five to seven direct reports, you should start thinking, I need to have some managers on the team. Um, and you should be thinking about what you're, that when you're hiring anyway, getting people that are senior enough to do that, but starting to put that in place somewhat earlier than you think in terms of making sure you don't have many too many reports. So for me, that's kind of at the beginning, you just kind of have, maybe there's someone junior and there's someone leading the team and there's everybody else. But as soon as you kind of hit that, like, you know, eight person mark, you got to start having other people manage people or you're just going to drive yourself nuts as a marketing lead. Yeah, definitely. I think I've been at five once and that was pushing to the limit. So I could imagine once you go beyond seven, that then you're ready to, to hire new people to help manage. And this was super good. And I, you mentioned at the start that you built the marketing teams from scratch at Asana, Carter, and Astro to name just a few. So can you talk us through the story of how you built out one of those marketing teams? Yeah. Let me focus on Asana because it was probably the most normal because Carter was interesting because I joined really, I, I joined late in the company's life cycle, they just didn't have marketing. They had a large sales team and, and that was sort of the priority. Um, so I came in late and built the team in like rapid fire. So um, let me focus on Asana. So yeah, with Asana, um, I joined when it was a series B company. Um, they were just about to launch their paid plan for teams. Um, and they had traction, some traction already and definitely had product market fit already, um, which isn't often the case. Um, after myself, I really focused on, um, there, I really wanted someone that was good at going to be good at helping get the people that had tried the product or in the product to engage with the product and then, uh, start using Asana with their team and then ultimately pay for the product. So I focused on finding a life cycle marketer, um, who could do both email and in product work and help me a little on the top of funnel acquisition side. But my experience at that point was really in 
top of funnel and product marketing. Um, so I, I, the life cycle piece was just really important to help move people down the funnel. That's not usually the case because you don't necessarily have that top of funnel going. Um, but essentially I hired a growth person who could, who could write, um, as my, write some of the messaging as my next hire and then kind of scaled from there around myself and, and that person who, I think the other thing to note there is the first person I've hired after me has always been someone that I thought had the potential both in their, the breadth of their experience, their, their motivation level, their aptitude level, their kind of hunger to be a marketing lead in the future. Like I wanted to hire someone who could like cover a lot of bases and was comfortable doing so and willing to, to learn a lot because they ultimately wanted to be in that role. It's not necessarily an explicit question that I asked. It's just a thing that I kind of can sense. And what's interesting is that at all three of those companies, the, the first person that I hired is either now leading a marketing team, one's leading marketing at a series B company. Um, one was leading marketing recently at a series A company, but is now founding his own company. Um, and another is leading um, B2B marketing at a company that does both B2C and B2B. So I think I hit the nail on the head with those three, those three people all in those roles now. Um, from there though, like I said before at Asana, especially like I built around myself and the first person that I hired to really complement our skill sets. Um, I believe the next person that I hired was a content person. I didn't have as much experience on the content side at that point. Um, I, you know, I, I was forced to write a lot in college um, and going to liberal arts college, you write a lot. So I was like, could, I could write, but I never thought of myself as a writer. That's, that's changed over time. Um, but I hired a content person. Um, and then I believe, um, then I believe I hired someone to focus on, on top of funnel acquisition. Um, so managing our paid agencies and also focusing on, on SEO and the website. Um, and then I, and then I just kept thinking about this balance of like fuel engine, fuel engine, um, and making sure I was balancing that out and then making sure I hired someone, the most senior person I hired was someone who led product marketing, content marketing, um, what we would call sort of, I hate this name, but corporate marketing, which is all of those areas. Um, and I was still leading design at the time. Um, so, or brand. Um, so I hired her, um, and actually I then hired her again at Carta for the same role. So, um, that was really key to start getting then all of the product marketers and content marketers that we hired could report into her and I could still, uh, I was still kind of leading for a while, the, the growth part of the team. Um, so yeah, complementing skill sets, hiring these pie shape marketers at the beginning and then balancing the tool on the engine and augmenting with contractors and, and making sure you have good people on the team to manage those contractors and agencies or else it's not going to work out. You have the people to manage them, which is kind of the, the catch 22 of contractors. Um, so yeah, I, I think the flexibility, um, flexibility to hire great people and build, build teams around them is, is the fun of it and how I've approached it. Awesome. This is really, really good to hear. And uh, we could then uh, just move to our closing questions and our fast five challenge to wrap things up. And so Emily, I will ask five questions and all you need to do is answer as quickly as possible. So are you ready? Yes. Cool. First question. What is the one book you'd recommend others to read? Yeah, I think the most helpful book I've read in recent years is uh, Elad Gill's High Growth, uh, High Growth Handbook. 
um, it's not just about marketing, but there's lots of little like interviews with, with various leaders. And I find it helpful that like, you can kind of go in and read one section. Um, so I found that really helpful. I also think he's an amazing angel investor, um, which is something that I've gotten into more recently is the investing side. So maybe that's also why I, I like it, but I think it's really valuable for marketers and especially marketers trying to understand how a whole organization works and, and not just marketing. Awesome. Great recommendation. Second question, a SaaS company you love and why? I love Figma, but I won't talk about that. I also love Webflow. I actually just, I just wrote a, another newsletter on why you should just use Webflow, like stop using headless CMSs or even WordPress and just use Webflow. It empowers marketers so much. So for me as a marketer, it has empowered me so much to create websites myself um, with minimal knowledge of, of code. Um, and so that's amazing. The product itself is amazing, which is you know where great marketing, it's, it's much easier to have great marketing when you have a great product. And vice, well, no, not really vice versa. Um, it's, more, it's easier to get people to your great product when you have when you have great marketing. Um, but their marketing, um, they have all these educational videos that are like kind of irreverent in their tone and just like speaks to the audience. Like they're 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 fun to watch and you're learning something new and really helps the audience learn how to do this because really the audience here is people that haven't necessarily built websites before. So kind of making that experience fun. And I just think they're doing fun things and taking chances on the content side. Um, I'm biased because uh, a friend of mine who has worked with me before is, is leading content over there, but the content, um, yeah, the content takes chances. Um, it's really empowering product. Um, and they're really building a community of people that are obsessed with it and are evangelizing the product. Um, and that's really valuable as well. And I'm one of those people that is obsessed with it and is like writing whole newsletters about how, why you should just use it. So um, Webflow for sure. And I think they're gonna take over the B2B website world. So watch out WordPress. Um, yes, absolutely. Awesome. Third question, favorite place to learn about marketing online? I don't know if this is an acceptable answer, but I feel like most of the great things I find start from Twitter. Um, Hashtag marketing Twitter, it's a good one. Um, but yeah, I feel like a lot of the things I find are, are starting from there and there's a lot of great Twitter threads and things like that. So yeah, I feel like not, I feel like not as many marketers are on Twitter as they should be. And so like, get yeah, it's, it's funny. Like I've had so many people that are marketers and I'm like, can you, you know, manage social for a short period of time? They're like, I've never used Twitter. And I'm like, what are you doing? <laughs> so I, rather than going to like one destination um, it's kind of where I start and there's a lot of like great, you know, nuggets from there. Yeah, absolutely. Fourth question, most important growth metric. This is like a trick question. Cause I think it's really important how all the growth metrics work together. Um, uh, okay. I, I, this is not the most important metric, but I feel like people overcomplicate metrics and you need to have marketing and sales data connected or pro and product data preferably. So prep, you need to get your whole funnel and a whole view of your business connected. And often that takes a while as a startup to get that connected because it's complicated. Um, but the one thing I think it's funny that companies just don't really analyze is just your web traffic and the conversion rate on your website. Like I've asked so many founders, I'm like, well, what's your web traffic? And they have no idea. Um, and marketers, I'm like, how often are you looking at this? And they're like, once a, once a month. And I'm like, what? This is every day. I want to know. How many people came to my website? Where did they go on the website? Where did they come from? Um, where did they come from? It's huge. Um, where did they come from? And then what are they doing on the website? And are they converting? Are they filling out some sort of form? Are they signing up for the product? Are they requesting a demo? So 
web traffic with a conversion rate sort of benchmark that you're trying to hit, I think is just like, that's just table stakes. Like you have to be tracking that, but I don't see everyone just tracking that rigorously every day and super valuable. Yeah, absolutely. And then fifth and final question, best piece of advice for fellow marketers? Two things. One is add value. Um, there's a lot of really crappy marketing out there. If this isn't something that you'd be proud to personally share with the audience, put your name on, et cetera, don't write it, don't put it out there. Um, so add value, really understand your audience and, and do things that make their lives better. And like, that's what marketing should be all about. Um, so I ask that question a lot when I am reviewing work, it's just, does, do you think this ad, adds value or what's unique about this? Or why is this different from other things I can find? on this topic and you need to be able to answer that question before I would like publish it. Um, uh, and that goes for everything, not just content. It's just easier with the content angle to talk about adding value. The other thing is focus on impact. So like I said before, you need to do things that cause step change growth to, to grow as a company and, and meet your marketing goals. And so focus on impact. Don't just do what everybody else is doing. Don't try to do a little bit of everything. Focus on things that you think are going to be big wins and that you can be known for as a marketing organization and, and kind of double down on those things after you test them and you know that they work. So add value, focus on impact, and I think you'll get pretty far. I love it. Add value to your customers, make an impact on the business. So it's a mm -hmm. perfect place to finish and wrap up. Emily, again, I have to say this was absolutely awesome. And thank you so much for coming on the Growth of Podcast. Thank you for having me. This was, this was fun. I love talking about this stuff. So I appreciate it. That was Emily Kramer on how to build and structure your early stage SaaS marketing org. So thank you so much for listening. And if you're enjoying the show, we'd love for you to leave a review and rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. And as ever, you're always welcome to reach out to me on Twitter at Nordic Edward or connect on LinkedIn. So thank you so much for listening to the Growth of Podcasts brought to you by growth marketing agency Advanced B2B. This is your host, Edward Ford, signing off and make sure you check out advancedb2b.com for more content and resources on everything B2B SaaS growth. It's our job to tell better stories. And always remember, it's the risk takers that are rewarded. People are sick and tired of being marketed to, and they're sick and tired of being sold. The single biggest story today in sales and marketing is how our customers are buying different